everybody. Welcome back to Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am Jeff Paulson. Standing standing for some reason right across from me this week is uh, my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. How you doing, Mark? Hey, I'm, I'm happy to be here as usual when there's a reason I'm standing. Uh, but we'll get oh, into he's... that later because it has to do with our topic of the day. God, I thought maybe Moogie had uh, stolen your chair, our sound technician, but Moogie, he's not here today. So no, Moogie, he's here. He's just he's like way deep into the panel, the sound panel and stuff. I heard him in there. Ah. But oh, okay, I haven't seen him today. But <laughs> okay, well, uh, let's. Uh, I got a deal for you. Let's make a deal. Instead of talking about baseball uh, this week, I wanted to talk about horse racing and the triple crown we've got horse racing season starting up of course last week last week yeah jeff there's a lot of of podcasts that are talking about horse racing i think i think we should stick to our usual you know game of thrones oh wait no that's not that's that's every other broadcast okay oh no that would be true crime is every other podcast but uh okay if you don't want to talk about triple crown winners in 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 baseball well let's do talk about triple crown winners in baseball sure. but in horse racing we'll 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 stick with the tried and true baseball historical commentary and facts that we have uh, been able to come up with thus far um i've got i've got something that uh, I I saw making the rounds kind of in the last week since the NCAA basketball tournament just ended a week or so ago. And a lot of people were posting on on some baseball, uh, on social media and and Reddit, on some baseball threads about Tony Gwynn, the late, great Tony Gwynn, because, of course, Tony Gwynn played basketball in college for the University of San Diego and was actually a really good basketball player. And that led me to find a couple of Tony Gwynn facts that I wanted to share with you because this guy was just incredible. I mean, you know, especially later in his career, if you looked at him, you wouldn't think he was that much of an athlete. He was a rather rotund guy at, at the end of his career, but he could still hit. He was a bit like poorly, nobody's business. Call him a bit poorly. Yes, poorly, poorly. But so Greg Maddox, a, a fellow Hall of Famer, Tony Gwynn faced Greg Maddox 170 times through his career. He did not strike out a single time against Greg Maddox. Wow! Wait, not, not, well, not that Greg Maddox is a not that Greg Maddox is a, a huge strikeout pitcher, but a hundred and seven times wow. to put the ball in play every single time is incredible. Uh, yeah, I mean, you think just by random chance he would have struck out once? Yeah, maybe a called. I is Tony Gwynn one of those guys that the umpire would say, "Son, it's not a strike because Mister Gwynn didn't swing." <laughs> Probably so. Yeah. Probably <laughs> so. Beyond Greg Maddox, of course, the, the Braves in in the uh, '90s and early 2000s had the their own big three, uh, which incorporated Greg Maddox, uh, Tom Glavin, and John Smoltz. So let's look at those other two guys as they faced Tony Gwynn. 105 plate appearances for Gwen against Tom Glavin. Glavin got him twice. Oh, so he owned him compared to, <laughs> to Maddox. <laughs> and uh, then John Smoltz, who only faced him 75 times, he got him once. So between those three pitchers, that's almost 300 at-bats. And Tony Gwen struck out three times against them. That's incredible. That's that was that's an incredible a, trio of pitchers too. That's amazing to me. That is to 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 I, I mean, really, 
you would be okay. Well, I struck out ten times against them. I am the best hitter ever. Right, exactly. But, <laughs> so that's uh, that's incredible. Uh, and just wanted to remember Tony Gwynn. Uh, Glavin dominated Tony Gwynn over the course of his career with those two strikeouts. So that's something to keep in mind. Very impressive. Tony Gwynn has a lot of interesting stats too. We'll have to do a show on it because he had a, a, an amazing ability to not swing and miss or to not take any called strikes as well. Yeah, he was great. And, you know, his friendship with Ted Williams was very interesting as well as, you know, it, it was kind of like, you know, greatness recognizes greatness. They, yeah. you know, Tony Gwynn and, and Ted Williams were, were good friends and would just talk hitting and to be a fly on the wall on one of those conversations would be, would be, would have been just awesome. Yeah, that would have uh, definitely made for a good interview on this show. Um, well, Ted Williams, we might still be able to get. That's right. The whole cryogenic thing could. Yeah, could his, come his head. Yeah. If they if they can bring that together, we might be able to. Maybe we him. can put his head on Moogie's body. <laughs> <laughs> Moogie's in fantastic shape. <laughs> Uh, so I wanted to bring up a one one more thing I saw about one of your favorite players. Not Nolan Ryan, oh. but I believe you named him as your second best. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr.? Second most bestest player? Yeah, yes. Ken Griffey ah, Jr. That would be my second, yes. So Ken Griffey Jr. was born in Denora, Pennsylvania, which I did not know he was born. I didn't even know there was a Denora, Pennsylvania. But can you believe it that he is thought of as only the second best baseball player to ever be born in Denora, Pennsylvania? Um, seriously? Well, is the other one Eddie Goodale? Eddie Goodell? No, it was not, okay, surprisingly Those enough. of you that don't know who that is, you can look him up. He's very interesting. I think we've talked about him before. Because I, I, I didn't like his number because he was... Uh, he was the small person that went up and took one at bat for the St. Louis Cardinals. That's correct, yes. And his number was like one-fourth or something like that. When Then I, you know, times his height by four, and he was like 10 feet tall, right. so it didn't work Oh, out. I remember that. Yeah, you were very upset about that. Well, I had to talk was, you down. I'm, I'm still a little hot about it. Don't get me started. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't Eddie Gale. <laughs> Who was it? Stan the Man Musial, also born in Denora, Pennsylvania. So Stan, okay, so Musial and Griffey Jr. from Denora, Pennsylvania. My favorite Stan Musial stat is career hits at home, eighteen hundred and fifteen career hits at home on the road, eighteen hundred and fifteen hits. Wow, consistency. Now I've heard that of Stan the Musial's prowess with the bat, but do you think that was intentional? I think he was counting. <laughs> he went up and just took a couple of pitches his final game to just keep it even. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it could be, uh, it could just be his favorite number, one thousand eight hundred fifteen, which doesn't present a lot of gambling opportunities, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's a solid number. Well, you know, I think that's a great segue. You, you mentioned favorite numbers, and uh, you know, kind of. Numbers in baseball beyond stats, just numbers themselves uh, are a big part of baseball, and especially when it comes to superstitions. And that's something we're going to talk about today, Uh, baseball and superstitions, because believe it or not, baseball players are pretty superstitious, from what I hear. I would argue that uh, baseball is the most superstitious 
of all sports. I think that has something to do. I, I would agree that it is the most superstitious of, of probably all the sports. And I think it has something to do with what we've talked about in the past, just the, the length of the season, the amount of games, the pace of play that really leads to a lot of downtime, which probably allows players to start thinking of weird things. And we all know athletes shouldn't be thinking. No, it's generally not a good idea. But I think we've come up with some some great things here, um, some very interesting things, too, about some famous players and superstitions, as, as well as some lesser-known players that had equally as odd fascination with some superstitious uh, stuff. Do you, you, you got a couple of things? Yeah, actually, I know, uh, I know a few things about baseball superstitions and I uh, would be more than happy to share with our audience, which by the way, I was thinking probably pound for pound, the brightest audience in, <laughs> uh, in the podcast world, he says, trying to kiss their posteriors. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with it. Right. Well, you know, there, I, when I started thinking about superstitions, I, th- I thought about the fact that we had already talked about a few and that would be the curses. The curse of yes. the Bambino, the curse of the Billy Goat, curse of yes. Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders is my favorite now. Yes. It, now, it's interesting that all, and th- these are the three curses that I know of personally. There are probably more. It's baseball. Anything could happen. Anything could be out there. But in, in looking at these, people actually tried to remove the curse in each of these cases. So people, if they didn't really believe it, there was some aspect of them that thought, you know, maybe... Maybe there's something to do with it. So like in the Curse of the Bambino, the uh, individual that purchased Babe Ruth's contract that, w- that sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees from Boston, he wanted to burn the contract on home plate at Fenway Park um, and to try and remove the curse. And, and how'd that work out? It, they, they didn't let him. It was a fire hazard. <laughs> well, we talked about last week in Fenway. Fenway has burnt down. Well, not burnt down, but parts of it is, have caught on fire. Right. Maybe... They did it elsewhere. Well, they probably have a very strict fire code in that case. Well, and I don't think it worked. No. It, I, I, <laughs> the Yankees have subsequently not stopped winning yeah. World Series. Well, yeah, this is true. Now, in the Curse of the Billy Goat, numerous times, and I've, I started doing more research on it. There are more times than I can even really get into that someone has actually brought a goat to the park to try and assuage this horrible curse that was put upon the, the Cubs for denying entrance for a, a, a very popular billy goat back in, what, 1906? But anyway, and, and uh, in all these cases, someone went on, you know, they, they in Japan, they dove into their uh, river or whatever to try and they kept trying to recover that Colonel Sanders statue. They finally got it. And what do you know? It changed the uh, it changed the fortunes of, of uh, the future of Japanese baseball once they got rid of that thing. And we posted some great pictures of it on uh, on our social media last week. So if you haven't checked those out, make sure you uh, make sure you go check out the it, so the barnacled Colonel Sanders. Yes, the, the, he he looks great. So you can actually take a look at him on the social media pages, Twitter and on Instagram, and the, the actual uh, pictures of the cursed Colonel Sanders still still uh, on display in Japan. And can I just say, so he doesn't look anything like Randy Bass. Yeah. Well, I think they were really stretching. It was a desperation thing. Anybody with a beard, I think. 
<laughs> Good thing you weren't there. Oh, they'd have thrown me in first as soon as I landed. Yeah, so you know, I when you talk about the curse of the Bambino and the Billy Goat, I did not know that the 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 White Sox were cursed as well. I they I didn't know that they suffered the curse of Shoeless Joe Jackson. Really? And I yeah, I mean that that was from 1917, and it wasn't until 2005 that the White Sox won a World Series. So that curse was equally uh, effective, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. It's just uh, it didn't have as good of of a promoter as far as no. curses go. <laughs> so let's talk about superstitions, okay. uh, as well as curses. So one of the one of the things that you still still see players today do is they refuse to touch the foul line. You'll see them jump over it. You'll see them take little quick steps so that they don't step on it. Um, I know I, I often cringe when I see somebody to go out and throw the first, you know, ceremonial pitch and they step on the line. Oh, I that always <laughs> that always gets me. Do you know why nobody will step on that line? And it has nothing to do with like the step on a, a crack, break your mother's back kind of thing. So it has nothing to do with Bart Giamatti or anything. OK, go ahead. No. No, this is this is actually rooted as from the beginning of the game. So the foul line used to be laid not with chalk like it is today. It used to be lie, L-Y-E. Oh, okay. And lie, if you don't know, is a a very caustic chemical, and it can cause a lot of damage. It can burn skin. It can cause blindness. If you ingest it, it can even kill you. So they thought it might be a good idea to stop putting it on the field where guys are running around and kicking it up and diving. Uh, but that was why that was why they wouldn't touch it. It was like it was like the floor is lava, but only on that white line. So they would jump over it. It would also it would, you know, now players get 80 million pairs of free shoes, you know, spikes whenever they want them. Well, that wasn't the case when lie was being used. You know, often they'd have to pay for their own. They'd probably wear the same pair of shoes for a couple of seasons. Well, if the lie got on it and it wasn't cleaned properly, it would start to eat through the shoes as well. So that is why players don't want to touch that line. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd never put that together before. Then again, I I didn't know what a lie was either. I mean, I'm not a chemistry expert, for goodness sakes. See what you learned on this show? It's amazing. <laughs> We cover all the bases. That's right. You have anything to say about bromium while we're on the uh, periodic table? No, but I did. Kryptonite is actually in the on the periodic table, and for some reason, I didn't know that oh, didn't until know recently. That. I saw that the other day, no. and um, I thought, man, how did DC get on the periodic table, but Marvel didn't? And it's money, all about the money. That's it. Interesting that you talk about not stepping on the foul line because it's uh, it's taken on a life of its own with certain players uh, one of them being Turk Wendell former pitcher Turk. for uh, the Cubs now I, I I know you know who Turk Wendell was sure yes he, he basically he was he was a good pitcher he really was and um, but he was more known for his odd superstitions and behavior um, even more so than a guy you told a great story about Mark <laughs> the Bird Fidrich. yes um, Wendell was like just another click uh, in the strange rituals uh direction he uh, he didn't just step over that foul line he would do it like a bounding leap over it as if it were a fence you know he didn't want to get anywhere near the former yeah he, he would be a couple feet in the air yeah. he'd be 
It's like he's jumping rope, but like a very high rope. Well, and now that I think about it, maybe he's just really afraid of lie. I don't know. <laughs> but he would. He thought they might still be using it. He, they don't. He, he would. Don't know. And, and he straight up said, "Look, one time I stepped on the line and I gave up, and so I don't do it anymore. In fact, I don't even come close anymore." So that's kind of interesting. Um, so he did all kinds of weird stuff. If you want me to go into a few of those, I think uh, they're kind of funny. That's why all, we're here. Yeah, well, they're all superstitious, weird rituals. Um, when he would warm up pitching, when the catcher would squat, Turk would stand up. When the catcher stood up, Turk would squat. They both couldn't be standing at the same time. <laughs> and uh, he would, he would uh, go out, he would do his flying leap over... The, uh, the line, and then he would squat when his catcher stood and, and vice versa. And then he would draw three crosses on the dirt in the mound, uh, you know, back behind the mound with his finger, and then he'd lick the dirt off his finger. So, mm. again... I hope there wasn't any lie on that. That was, that was my biggest concern now that I was thinking <laughs> about it. Uh, and then he would always do something that I find is hilarious. He would turn around and wave to the center fielder. And <laughs> once the center fielder waved back... Boom, the game, the inning could start. <laughs> but that dates all the way back to like grade school when he was playing Little League and he would wave to the center fielder before he would pitch. And a couple <laughs> other things between innings. Uh, Wendell did not, he was a very clean living guy. He didn't believe in tobacco, uh, didn't really like gum, no alcohol, any drugs, nothing like that. So he would chew black licorice and it became a habit and something he was very known for. But he didn't like the way that the black licorice made his teeth feel. So between innings, he would chomp down a bunch of black licorice, and then he would brush his teeth. So you would see him out in the, you'd see him in the dugout there at Wrigley Field with a toothbrush, brushing his teeth and and in between every single inning. You know, apparently, I mean, I'm a big fan of good personal hygiene, especially oral hygiene. But that's a lot of teeth brushing right there. But it's pretty impressive that he stuck with it his entire career. I remember, I remember him just with a toothbrush, just going to town, like up on the top step there. I remember that. Yes. And I have a quote here. He says, I don't like the way licorice makes my teeth feel. It just sits there. I don't want my teeth to get stained. So there you have it. Brushing your teeth the best way around, staining it with licorice in between any. Turk Wendell did not like to wear socks unless he was, you know, forced to wear socks. He would prefer not to. He said, socks don't serve a purpose they're just useless he wouldn't even put on a pair of socks for his sister's wedding and eventually he uh, switched to high top uh high top shoes cleats instead of the lower cut ones because then he no one could notice that he didn't wear socks i saw a quote from him that said he just he said that socks were a waste of money there you go uh there you go and you know an individual this guy Maybe socks are a waste of money, and the rest of us just haven't caught up yet. I, uh, and then, uh, the final thing, and this is the, I saved this for last because it always cracked me up. Um, he would, when he would need a new baseball, the umpire would have to roll it to him. <laughs> if, if the umpire threw it, he would just get out of the way and let it you know, hit and roll, and then he would go pick it up where it landed. Or he would actually just take it off the chest and let it fall. <laughs> Boom, right in the chest, bam, now it's on the ground, now I'll pick it up. But yes, the umpire had to roll the new ball to him. Hope the umpire didn't have a good arm. <laughs> well, I guess you never know, man, but uh, it's much more important 
to follow through with the superstition than it is to, you know, have a chest that isn't in pain, I imagine. <laughs> well, I got two other things about Turk Wendell. Okay. Um, one I remember and the other I, I didn't know. But do, do you remember? I remember he always had a, a, a necklace on. Yes. That had some, I assume that they were teeth, which some of them were. These were actually uh, trophies from animals that he had, uh, the article I read said had harvested. <laughs> so basically he haunted them. Right. But uh, he had uh, mountain lion claws and the teeth of wild pigs and buffalo. Of course. So it made for a rather unique look. Um, also, Turk Wendell, uh, we've talked about this kind of a couple of times, but he uh, was a big fan of the number 99. Okay. Um, at one point, he did wear the number 99, but also all of his contracts had to end in 99. So whatever they were going to pay him, he wanted them to tack on $99.99 too. <laughs> or maybe he'd just take one cent less. I don't know, but... He was a big fan of, 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 you know, wild thing, I guess. He wanted that 99. Maybe he was a Gretzky guy. <laughs> Could have been. Yeah. Could have uh, been. Cross-sport uh, yeah. athletes. Maybe they're cross-sport uh, superstitions. It, it, that is kind of similar to Larry Walker, if you remember. Larry Walker, I've been hearing a lot about because a lot of people right now think he is probably one of those guys that might get into the Hall of Fame eventually, yeah. which I hope he does because I love Larry Walker, but he was a great spent player. a good portion of his career playing at uh, Coors Field, so people take his numbers with a little bit of a grain of salt, but he was obsessed with the number. He was obsessed with the number three. Uh, he set his alarm uh, whenever he needed it for 33 minutes past the hour. He took batting practice in multiples of three. If you remember, his number was 33. He was married November 3rd at 3.33 p.m. And when he was uh, on the Expos in Montreal, every game he bought 33 tickets for disadvantaged kids that were seated in section 333. Nice. Very nice. Big fan. Big fan of the of the number three. Well, I, I wonder if you ever got a hold of his debit card, if you could figure out you know. <laughs> what his pin was. <laughs> <laughs> That's where my mind went. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Walker was a superstitious kind of guy. but and, and Wendell, of course, was the extreme. But uh, and when I think of baseball superstitions and rituals, I think of the, one, the great Wade Boggs. R.I.P. Wade Boggs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I it has to be a joke has to be made whenever you mention Wade Boggs from the great episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia oh, yes. in which Charlie for some reason always thinks Wade Boggs is dead and everybody has to continually say I can assure you that Wade Boggs is still alive <laughs> and I can also assure you this so we're in, we're in good company here um Wade Boggs had uh, a ton of rituals. Now, I, I was able to put a bunch of them together. I could not find like a master list of things that Wade Boggs had to do. And he, he had them in his head. He would have to take batting practice at 5.17 p.m., sprints at 7.17 on the dot. Um, he would uh, always write the word chai, which is Hebrew for life, in the dirt behind every bat. A lot of players write stuff in the dirt, I've noticed. 
Yes. Yeah. And so he was doing that. And, and of course, most famously, Wade Boggs had to eat chicken before every game. Big poultry fan. Big poultry fan and a big superstitious guy. He, he um, took these things very seriously. You know, I mean, he, not that he wouldn't joke about them, but he was very serious in, in his routine. And uh, in fact, I have a little, I have a little story that I got from somebody firsthand that uh, pulled a little joke on Mr. Boggs way back in the Kingdom days. And uh, this this individual that that perpetrated this interesting uh, foray into the world of practical jokery uh, gave me permission to tell this story. So I'm just going to make up a name for him. We'll call him Todd, and uh, <laughs> we'll say. <laughs> We'll say, here's what happened. Todd knew exactly that, that at 517, Wade Boggs would have to go out, pick up his bat, and head to the batting cage. <clears throat> this was very well, you know, publicized. Everybody knew Boggs had this superstitious routine. Well, Todd was standing next to one of the scoreboards, and it happened to be one of the scoreboards where you could actually go in and physically change the time on the clock. So... <laughs> So what happened was Wade Boggs came out. He grabbed a rookie. I don't know who it was. I wish I did. And uh, he grabbed a rookie and he said, he basically pointed at the clock and he told the rookie, you know, and I'm putting words into his mouth, but I'm sure this is what happened. You know, tell me exactly when it is 517 and uh, I can head up to bat. So Boggs was doing his other stuff, stretching and whatever. And, And this mystery guy, Todd, he goes up to the scoreboard and he goes, let's see, it's 516. He goes in presses a button, changes it to 518, and sends it out to the scoreboard. So the scoreboard goes from 516 <laughs> to 518, completely missing the 517 that Wade Boggs was looking for. Now, the poor rookie is just like, <laughs> uh, what, what, no, I, it, it went, I swear it went from 516 to 518. Boggs is furious because, seriously, how, how tough is it to, to just sit and look at a clock until it goes to a certain time? Well, this poor guy never had a chance, and so now Boggs is blaming him. Boggs is routine is thrown off and uh todd and the rest of the gang got a good laugh out of it just to to put a uh, an exclamation point at the end of the sentence wade boggs did go for four that night <laughs> <laughs> now we should just mention because i know i know of this todd you speak of uh he was a team employee this is not just some random fan that's somehow gotten somewhere and is Messing right. around with a uh, with a, a clock that maybe he found a button for, but that is, yes. I love that story. That's yes. great. He was an employee. Sorry, I didn't clarify that. <laughs> Random schlub using the force to change the anything like that. <laughs> oh, that's great. I I found a ton of articles about players that have food related superstitions and and all the way up the guys that are still in the big leagues and some of them were just uh yeah i forget who it was but some pitcher would just crush some taco bell the night before he pitched like a lot of taco bell i i you know food and and baseball players and their superstitions are, are are a big topic um and something that a lot of them take very seriously yeah yeah i you know, if I, I remember correctly, didn't America all get a free taco at Taco Bell when Mickey Betts stole a base last World Series? I yeah, the last couple of, and I didn't get mine. I didn't I either. Can, I, I think you have to. Can they go. mail that to me? Yeah, no, I think you have to go there. 
Oh, I, uh, probably probably too late at this point, isn't it? I it might be. I called, and they were like, "Oh no, we'll get right over to you." And and then they never showed up. So I think they might have <laughs> huh. just been sarcastic. All right. Well, let everybody at Taco Bell uh, on Twitter and. Let's get some tacos up in this place. <laughs> Don't forget Moogie. Moogie's a big taco guy. So That's right. I, you know, I think I remember who your pitcher was. Um, yeah. I think he just, ret- uh, Derek Holland. That's oh, who it was. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I, I saw, um, I remember seeing an interview with with him on, um, or if it was him. Anyway, on uh, Conan O'Brien. And Conan, Conan said, uh, uh you know, I see that you're eating your gordita or whatever before every game, and it, because it's a, a game day tradition, it also results in your game day diarrhea tradition. So, yes, not all baseball superstitions have any sort of scatological reference, though. Just some. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to one that doesn't. Okay, yes, please. Um, this was my favorite one. I mean, I, the Boggs, uh, you, when you told me you were going to tell that story, which I, I'd heard before and I love I was excited about that but this is my favorite uh this is my favorite one and it's by a player and I I had never heard this before until a couple of days ago never even heard of the player you heard of Kevin Romberg he uh, had a cup of coffee with the uh, with the Indians uh throughout three seasons the 1982 through 84 seasons he had 41 games he appeared in the major leagues but he in that little bit of time though he <laughs> definitely uh landed himself on the near the top of the list of most superstitious players ever so one of the things that was so peculiar about Romberg is that if somebody touched him he had to touch that person back great and and this was a compulsion that he had to so if if you went up and just like tapped him on the shoulder he would have to touch you back he didn't have to touch you the same way you touched him but he would have to to touch you so you know i mean i guess it's better that he played baseball rather than like football or basketball or something because that would have been tough but um you know, if he was tagged out while running the bases, he'd have to wait until the defense was leaving the field at the end of the inning and chase down the player who had touched him. So if he wasn't the third out, he's sitting in the dugout. And let's say he's in the third base dugout and the the first baseman tagged him out. He, He sprints all the way across the diamond to make sure that he can go touch that first baseman before the next half of an inning would start. So that is completely bizarre. Yeah, it is really, really strange. So a couple of a couple of antidotes about this. Uh, Rick Sutcliffe was his teammate at one point, and uh, Kevin was in the restroom in a stall, and Rick Sutcliffe went in and underneath the stall touched him on the toe and then ran away. <laughs> so <laughs> Romberg had no idea who had done it. And this just freaked him out. And he went through the clubhouse and he touched everybody in the clubhouse. Uh, Another time in the minors, a player touched Romberg with the ball and then threw it out of the stadium. So I'm assuming this was probably during BP. They just touched him and they hucked it out of the stadium completely. So Romberg went and (laughs) it took him two hours to find this ball, but he found it. And I guess that satisfied because the player didn't touch him. The ball did. So I guess he had to touch the ball. Okay. 
if a player ever happened to escape Romberg and not, you know, be touched back, Romberg would write him a letter and it would say, this constitutes a touch. Seriously? (laughs) Send him a nice written sentiment saying, essentially, you're it. I don't know if that's, is this so much superstition as it is borderline like obsession? Oh. Oh yeah, I think I think this goes beyond just OCD, or it's really really bad OCD. Right. Um, in addition to touching, Romberg would never turn right. <laughs> so, which I mean, I guess you know, in baseball, you you round the bases, you make left turns, kind of like NASCAR. Right. So it it was okay, but if he ever had to to turn, uh, you know, go to the right, he would just go to the to the left and do a do a 360 that way well not a 360 what is it a uh i, I went to a pack 12 school don't expect me to do math what's what's half of 180 and 360 i i'm look man i was told i guess it would be, be a two mathematics in this show two, 270 how about that a 270 i you just did, did a 270 which you don't hear about that often no, you really don't. It's like essentially like a four-point turn, three-point turn. So Whatever. doing a 180 is like when you completely turn around your attitude. No, 180 is a halfway. 360 is a complete turn. Okay, so, but I'm saying, I'm sorry, I, I said it wrong. A 180 would be complete opposite of where you stand yeah. currently. So a 270 would be like, you com- you believe the complete three opposite quarters. of what you used to, so but then if you you're going a little bit. If you want to go to the right, you're, I'm assuming you're making a 90-degree turn. So that's where I'm getting my numbers. Well, you know, there's a great album by uh, one of my favorite bands called Reliant K, and it's, it's called the album is called Two Lefts Don't Make a Right, but Three Do. <laughs> and it's very produced accurate. by Kevin Romberg. <laughs> exactly. It what one of the funny things I I found is that an umpire one time in New York halted a game because he had to tell Yankee players to stop touching Romberg. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. So I guess these guys were just having a blast, just probably running past him out to their to their position, and they'd probably just touch him just to make him go crazy and have to chase him down. How could you not? Yeah, I think I would. I I can sympathize with him, but I think I I'm pretty OCD on a lot of things, but I I don't think I'd be. <laughs> oh, I I'd probably have fun with him. Well, that's probably before they made the really good medications. So. Probably yeah. Yeah, early '80s. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Now that that is a superstitious dude. That's very impressive. You know, it's it's interesting that we actually look at certain traditions, um, and, and as just if they're part of the game. For example, um, we don't talk about no hitters and perfect games when they're going on. Well, that's a superstition, um, but we all do it. You know, we all are like, uh, don't mention, don't talk about the no hitter. I think there might be an exemption for announcers, but I'm not really sure on that one. But it depends. Yeah. It de- like it, it, especially if you're, you know, if you're a yeah, national it, announcer, it's, uh, you'll it's say that it. we're always careful. Um, I mean, not, even just as a fan, not just as an employee or someone that's around baseball all the time, you're always careful not to bring up a no hitter, perfect game while it's going on. However. One of the most famous perfect games of all time, Don Larson's perfect game in the World Series. Nobody told him this. I uh, I heard Mickey Mantle telling a story. He was telling his side of the Don Larson perfect game. And uh, it was about the fifth or sixth inning. He hadn't allowed a base runner yet. 
And he came running over to Mickey Mantle and going, hey, Mick, you see this? I'm throwing a perfect game. Can you believe I'm throwing a perfect game? What if, wouldn't it be crazy if I threw a perfect game in the World Series? Nobody could do that. Isn't that funny? And Mick said he was just trying to hide, trying to get away, sit far away on the bench from him. Anybody and everybody trying to get away from this from Don Larson, who they lovingly called Goonie or Goonie Bird because he was apparently a little bit out there. Um and but he would not stop talking about how he was throwing a perfect game, and he was making absolutely everybody else uncomfortable. And apparently, it 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 was enough that it completely overloaded the circuits of the superstition, and failed miserably because he did throw the perfect game, as we know. You know something else that uh, this is more for like an insider approach for those of us that work in in game day operations in baseball. You never ever ever say this sentence or any form of it wow this game is just flying by <laughs> we'll be out of here in two hours yeah. boy at the pace of this game we'll be home before 10 don't ever i cannot i cannot drill this into your head any deeper than i am trying to right now if you want to make a whole video control room in a in a production studio just moan at the same time, yes. possibly throw things at you. It's all you got to do. Just say, hey, we're really moving. This We're really playing at a quick clip tonight. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, this is the ultimate taboo, which, by the way, Jeff, did you know a taboo is the opposite of a ritual? I did not know yeah, that. It's like uh, we're, I'm preaching on sociology right here, I think, or something like it. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, no, I read that. I thought that was pretty interesting. But, yeah, don't ever mention the pace of a game if it's a good one. You can say, like, man, this game is so slow. That's fine. You're not going to hurt anything. But, you know, it, it's funny because uh, you, you're careful not to even say someone is doing really well. You know, you can say, some, wow, nobody's got an extra base hit against this pitcher all game. And what's going to happen? Somebody's going to get an extra base hit if you say it. So, Well, I've got... You, you talk about uh, you talk about rituals. Um, I've got something. I've got two things actually from Roger Clemens. Uh, neither of which in, include you know steroids, which is rare. Uh, so Roger Clemens had a couple of different rituals that he would do. Uh, mainly when he was with the Yankees is when I when I read that he would be doing these for the most part. Um, First of all, the Roger Clemens, they, they both have to do with his pregame routine when he was pitching. And one of them is just one of the oddest ones that I read. His pregame routine included having the trainer rub the hottest possible ointment on his boys, shall we say. <laughs> Hold it. <laughs> Hold on. Now, I'm gonna, I want to clarify this with you. The hottest possible ointment, like icy hot or something. Yeah, Two. I one 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 story about this said that he would just jump into the hottest, you know, tub available. Right. But everything else I saw said that this was ointment, and I'm gonna I have to assume he had to ap apply it and not have a poor trainer do it. But I don't know if this woke him up. <laughs> Or, or what it did, but that was part of his pregame routine. Well, apparently it kept him on his toes. Um, but you know what? You can keep that one, man. I'm, I mean, I want to pitch like Roger Clemens and all, but uh, I'm not going to go that far. 
So once he did that and actually got his uniform on, uh, we all know the, the the plaques and monuments out in center field at Yankee Stadium. Well, Clemens would, before each uh, start at Yankee Stadium, he'd visit the Babe Ruth plaque out there, and he would wipe his forehead. I, I, I'm fairly certain this was after his warm-up pitches, so he'd have a little lather going. He'd wipe his forehead with his hand, and then he would touch the plaque and wipe Babe Ruth's forehead with that same hand. So kind of transfer the sweat from him to Babe Ruth uh, on, on the plaque out there in center field. But whatever he did, it worked. I mean, yeah. obviously, well, beyond the steroids, it worked. Um, <laughs> I have no comment. That's, uh, that's interesting, though, because it doesn't seem very hygienic. Well, but, you know, I like for me, I'm not going to go out there and touch those monuments because who knows? It, it was just like when I was in Ireland and, it, you know, we went to Blarney Castle and you're supposed to kiss the Blarney Stone. Well, I had heard from a local before we went and then some locals before we actually got to the castle. Don't put your mouth anywhere near that stone because all of the locals, knowing what all the tourists do, well, they come up in the middle of the night and do some things to that rock <laughs> to really, <laughs> really play a, you know a joke on anybody that's going to actually put their mouth on it. So I, I would never go and touch one of those things anyway, but yeah, no, thanks. Uh, me neither, but uh, I certainly wouldn't be kissing it or wiping my sweat on, you know, if a statue does sweat, you should wipe the sweat off the statue. <laughs> I think that's just common courtesy because they can't do it. Or, you know, you can call a tabloid TV show and they'll come and it'll be big news and you'll have people line up and you can charge them to see it, take a picture of it. Yeah, I might. If a, if I, a face appears in any toast that you make, make sure to call Hard Edition or what, what, one of those shows <laughs> new, new even called no, anyone. Uh, <laughs> hard copy? Hard copy. Call hard copy, hard copy if that's still a thing. There it is. Maury Povich or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, we've gotten way, way off we the have. path here. My yes. apologies. You know, it, it's interesting. I um, I remember a lot of times a player, and I don't have any specifics, except maybe Dave Stewart, wouldn't shave if he was on a winning streak. So Dave Stewart would go, you know, five, six wins in a row, and he'd have he'd have a beard about starting. You remember that? I don't. I, I he always had a goatee. Yeah. I don't remember a beard. He would let it. He would let it kind of grow out. He wouldn't want to uh, shave if he was on a winning streak. I was always afraid to make eye contact with Dave Stewart because, uh, you know, he is a. He looked like a bad man out there on the mound, yeah. peering over his mitt. Oh yeah, nobody in the league wanted to make eye contact with Dave Stewart, man. No. Scary looking dude. Fantastic pitcher as well. So I've got talk, talking about facial hair and, and superstition. Todd Helton. This is from uh, Matt Holliday, who was a teammate of Todd Helton on the Rockies. And he says, whatever's working for him, that's what he'd stay with. I've seen him start a game with a full beard. And if he hasn't gotten a hit, he'll go in, come out with a goatee in the fifth inning. And if he still hasn't got a hit by the end of the game, he's clean shaven. <laughs> Whatever it takes, man. Got to get that big W. Yeah, that's what it's all about, get... man. Baseball superstitions and taboos and everything—it all points in one direction. You got to get that win. Anything, anything that's going to get you there, and if it means that you know you have to drive the same route to the ballpark every single day, well, I've done it. All right, so 
we have got a ton of other uh, superstitions that we'll cover. I think maybe we'll we'll stop here though for this show, and we can revisit this again and and do another version of this because there are a lot of crazy things that baseball players insist on doing. Um, and, and I think this was this is a good topic. So we'll, we'll revisit this in the in the in the future with another version. But right now we've got to give the people what they want. And the people want, again, a slickly, professionally produced theme song and a question. So with that, this is Second Best. Your second best. Better than most of the rest. Not better than number one. Number one is better than anyone. So if you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you are returning, as always, thank you. Quick rundown of how Second Best works. Uh, Either Mark or I will come up with a question. We will ask the other what they think the second best response is, because everybody has a favorite response. That's what you usually get. We want to know what the second best response is to the question. So uh, I've got one for this week that we we can discuss uh, Mark, what is who do you think is the second best play-by-play announcer in baseball? And it doesn't have to be current; can be can be past. Okay, okay. So um, I'm going to give you a, a minute to to stew on that. Okay. You can you can write some notes if you want, or you can just ponder and look out the window, and and I'll tell you what my answers are, and and then we'll get to you. You don't want to know what's outside my window, but we'll. Never mind that. Let's move on. All right. Well, we will tell Moogie he can stop being in the window, stop staring at you through the window. You think about that, and I'm going to tell you what mine are. So my favorite play-by-play announcer, and I assume that this probably goes for most people, my favorite play-by-play announcer is the announcer that I heard the most listening to my team. Uh, so fortunately, you know, also in, in this day and age for the past 20 years, you've been able to either listen or watch your team, whether you live in that city or not. Uh, I was, you know, fortunate enough to live in my city where I'm, I'm now back again. Uh, but my favorite announcer uh, was Bill King, who was the radio voice for the Oakland Athletics for a long time, finally made it into the Hall of Fame and uh has a, a booth named after him at the Coliseum now. Bill passed away a couple of years ago, but he is by far my favorite play-by-play announcer. I think the second best play-by-play announcer is actually a team. And unfortunately, both of these gentlemen have passed away too, but I was fortunate enough to have worked uh, in Atlanta for the Braves when they were around and got to actually talk to both of them during one of the many rain delays, uh, but it, it's kind of a tie between Skip Carey and Pete Van Weeren. Oh, yeah. I loved them, and I, I thought beyond the... I thought Pete Van Weeren was was just great on his own. He was nicknamed the professor. He, he just had a, a huge wealth of knowledge of, of baseball. But when you put the two of them together, I thought that they were such a great team. They, at, you know, for one... Before the Braves got good, they had to really fill a lot of time for some really bad Braves teams on TBS. Oh yeah, uh, but they 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 were great. I I could listen to them 
all the time just talk about baseball and and, and do a game. So I'm going to list Skip Carey and Pete Van Weeren as, for me, the second best play-by-play announcers. That's great. You know, and it's funny, I think a lot of us uh, grew up listening or, or listening to those two guys because, you know, with the Superstation, we all had Braves games on. If you're a baseball freak, like uh, certain individuals that do this show, um, that's what you that's what you had to watch when it came to baseball until you know ESPN got the baseball contract and there were more local 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 games and contracts and stuff like that but uh, back in the day man that's this is who I listened to in high school called yep. these guys they were great yep fantastic me too well all right so so tell me who is your guess who's your who do you think the best play-by-play announcer was well is or was and then your second best just like you, Jeff, uh, my favorite of all time is going to be the guy that I grew up with, grew up listening to on the radio or on, did TV sometimes. And it was the one and only Dave Niehaus, Hall of Famer, um, absolute great announcer. He was somebody that if you're a Seattle fan, he's not just the announcer. He's not just the guy on the radio. He's like family. Dave Niehaus is like your favorite uncle. And he would always regale you with great stories from the past. And, and he knew every little Mariner's secret. And, and, man, did he root along with you. And he would get excited, so you would get excited. And uh, I, I still I, I miss him very much, even though I really do enjoy the crew that we have now at the Mariners. Uh, I, I still miss Dave, and I probably always will. But um, Good choice. Very yeah, good thank choice. You, thank you. But, but this segment is second best. So it is. I, I have That's to what the song with, says. Yeah. So I, I have to go on a second best. I, I, I'm going to throw in an honorable mention because it was only a uh, AAA broadcaster for like two years, but he was the first guy I listened to when my dad was teaching me how to do a, uh, a box score. And I would listen. His name was Art Popham, rest in peace. And he was the announcer for the Tacoma Twins. He's the first radio announcer I ever listened to, so I had to mention his name. So my second favorite, without question, would have to be the legendary Al Michaels. Yes, not Al. George Michaels. Very nice, but Al. No, um, no. Al Michaels, um, who of course did the famous call of "Do you believe in miracles?" Al uh, did all kinds of sports, and he's always got a lot of great insight. Everybody seems to get along with him well. He knows when to spin and when to shut up. Unlike me, uh, you know, he does all the great things. He does them even better than everyone else. Plus, I had a couple run-ins with Al Michaels. He was—he's uh, the nicest guy in the world. I uh, told him once that my mom wanted. To me to tell him hi if I ran into him because he's her favorite and he said oh yeah well how old's your mom which uh, I thought was kind of awesome I was like well I don't know but if I introduce you will you take me fishing you know one of those things um, I'd love to go fishing with Al Michaels wouldn't that be great do you believe in miracles it is a catch sort of thing um, but yeah he's he's definitely my second favorite he's a bigger name you know than the guy, other guys we've been talking about but he's a bigger name because he's earned it he deserves it and uh, I, I could watch Al, uh, you know, call the plays at a, a, a tic-tac-toe contest and I would still be entertained. So my second best of all time, the one and only Al Michaels. I second that. I like Al. Yeah, Al, Al does everything well. He does. I, I would even watch football when Al was doing it because I, I just I don't like football, but uh, he made it bearable. He, that's a fact. He always makes things a little more entertaining. And you gain a little knowledge, too, and that's the sign of the answer. 
All right, so there you have it. That's a it's a good uh, a good crew of of announcers. Uh, I think a lot of people could be very satisfied listening to a, a baseball game uh, being called by by any of those uh, gentlemen. Which I think Al Michaels is the only one that we named that's still alive. Right. Right. Maybe we're just getting old. But uh, awesome. all right. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, I had fun. This was good. I like I like talking about superstition. There are so many more that we've got to cover that we'll we'll do so in in a future episode because this yeah. is a, a fun topic. You notice, Jeff, I stood up through the entire show. I did, and you don't even have one of those uh, those mats underneath you, those fatigue no. mats. So do you know why? Neither. Why? There's a black cat sitting in my chair. Ah. Well, I, I mean, if he d- doesn't walk in front of you, I thought it was that ladder that was set up over your chair that you didn't want to oh, no. sit under it. For I think bit. that's ergonomically correct. The ladder that's oh. the chair. I just, <laughs> I'm a little worried about the cat. That's all. All right. Well, I see this episode uh, is just about ready to end in a 33. So I am, I think it's time we wrap it up. Sounds good. Um, <laughs> just a reminder to everybody, a couple of things you can do to help us out. Help spread the word. Uh, tell your parents, your spouse, your friends, your enemies. Uh, you might want to have your enemies listen. It might be a form of punishment. I don't know. But uh, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. And also follow us, uh, interact with us, subscribe on social media. We can be found at 2 Strike Noise. That's T-W-O Strike Noise on both Twitter and Instagram. We post a lot of stuff, whether it be from the show or just other stuff that's baseball related. So it's a good uh, good way to pass some time if you're bored as well. So, uh, Mark, uh, I'm thinking about doing a show next week. Should we should we make that a thing? Well, let's uh, clear it with Moogie Klingman, but I think uh, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, he just gave me the the uh, the pinky up, which since he doesn't have thumbs, right? Thanks, Moogie. It's as good as you can get. All right, so thank you very much. We will see you again next week on Two Strike Noise. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. God bless you. Have a great day.